Ah, this is the Sports Report. I'm your host, Matt Kreiser, broadcasting live on a Tuesday morning from San Luis Obispo, California. It's November 8th, and the election is finally here. We've reached it, and we've really reached the end of fall season for Cal Poly Sports. Fall sports wrapping up, winter sports just getting going. Cal Poly men's basketball opening the season Friday at Pepperdine and then Sunday at Arizona State. The women's team, the women's basketball team will face number 10 Stanford on the road Friday at 7 p.m. So a couple of road games for the Mustang basketball teams. Cal Poly women's volleyball has absolutely bounced back. It's good to see after talking to Taylor Nelson last week about the importance of a bounce back following the disappointing loss to UC Santa Barbara, Taylor named the Coca-Cola Cal Poly Athlete of the Week. She leads the Big West Conference in assists. We've gone over it on the show. She's an outstanding player, best player on the team, trained with the Olympic team this summer, so it's good to see. They've also added some new talent. Cal Poly Volleyball sophomore Catherine Broker named the Big West Defensive Player of the Week on Monday. Uh, She set a career high in digs over the weekend on that big five-set comeback to UC Davis. So it's good to see the women's volleyball team still fighting, still trying to get that low percentage, but possible berth into the NCAA championship. They have no conference tournament in volleyball, so it's, it's a tough road ahead, but they've got a shot at it. Of course, we know men's soccer, their season is done after UC Davis defeated uh, Santa Barbara 2-1 to last week, so Cal Poly failed to qualify for the conference tournament in soccer. But the final sport of the big three, volleyball, soccer, and football, Football with the huge game this weekend, losing to Eastern Washington, number three in the FCS, a team that defeated Washington State, Washington State number 24 in the FBS right now, number 24 in the nation. Washington State, a team that is dumped on big Pac-12 programs like UCLA and Stanford. They've crushed those teams, and Eastern Washington got a win over those teams. So playing Eastern Washington is a big deal for Cal Poly football. You know, we're not just playing scrubs in the FCS. These are legit programs. Eastern Washington, there's an argument to be made they're a top 25 team. Absolutely. So the Cal Poly football team falling 42-21 to to Eastern Washington. Really a game I was at the game where the Mustangs just couldn't convert. They had fumbles. They had troubles. They were unable to convert on fourth down. Trailed the whole game. That's hard to do against a passing attack like Eastern Washington. But I don't want to keep talking about it by myself. Joining us live on the Sports Report is Cal Poly football coach Tim Walsh. Tim, I want to start with this. 372 yards rushing, essentially your season average, but that only translated into 21 points. The team averages 36. What happened? Well, there's no question that you know turnovers had a lot to play in it. And when I say turnovers, not just the interception, the two fumbles, but we got stopped on fourth down. We dropped two balls. One would have been a touchdown. One would have been a first down. Those are drive stoppers and point stoppers. And, uh, you know, that those are uncharacteristic of who we've been, you know, since probably I've been here. And then it gives our 372 an opportunity to be 430-something because it's more opportunities to continue to play. So those are six plays that happened in the game that, uh, you know, the turnovers and the, and the drops uh, definitely – Put a, a hindered us in what we're, the outcome of the game was. I think other than that, it's an even game. Right, I saw that too. For me, watching the game, second quarter, late in the second quarter, inability to convert on that, take advantage of that interception, um, I thought that was a turning point in the game, especially already trailing against a team like Washington State that puts up a lot of points. 
Well, one of the things we wanted to do is that's why we went for it on fourth down, too, was the fact that, you know, they put up a lot of points. So you have to try to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak. So, you know, we went for it on fourth down, didn't get it. But then our defense made a good stop. And, you know, a lot of good things happened in the course of the game. That might have been a turning point. But to me, the most important thing for me to see is, you know, we made enough mistakes to get beat, number one. But number two, we were down 35 to 14 and we cut it to 35 to 21. And if we catch a ball, it's 35 to 28 with eight minutes to go in the game. You know, so that gives me the the feeling that, you know, we can play with them. And I and I really hope we get another opportunity to do that. But we got to go earn that now. But I do think there are turning points in the game. But I thought we responded to a lot of the negative things that happened Saturday. Right. And coming back to coming back to that for going for it a lot on fourth down, four for six on fourth down. Was that just a product of being behind or was that something you kind of thought going into the week you were going to play aggressive? Well, we all fourth down. I, I, we led the nation last year. I went against Davis a year ago. We went for it on our own nine yard line. You know, so, I mean, I'm not adverse to going for it on fourth down, and that's kind of the way I feel. Our offense is really a four-down offense. If we get four downs with what we do, that's 2.5 yards of time the ball snapped, and if we can't do that, then that's on us, so to speak. But, you know, one of them uh, might have been a little bit lengthier, that first one in the first half where it was fourth and two and a half or three. Maybe we should have punted that. I don't know. But the last one was after the drop. It was, you know, fourth and six from the six, you know, and we had to get a touchdown at that point in time. So that was kind of a forced play, and and unfortunately didn't uh, convert on that one. So, yeah, it's kind of our M.O., who we are. Head coach of the Cal Poly football team, Tim Walsh, joining us now on the Sports Report Tim, flyback Kyle Lewis hurt during the game on Saturday. What's his status for this upcoming game against Weber well, State? Well, it doesn't look good. And, you know, you take away 10, 500 meters from our offense, and that's really our go-to speed guy, so to speak, both in the passing game and in the running game. And uh, we have great runners, don't get me wrong, but they don't run 10, 500 meters. You know, he's a, he's a guy that every time he touches the ball, it's a distance to go the entire distance, regardless of where you are in the field. But his status is probably highly questionable. Two out, I say, you know, so we're not counting on Kyle this week. We wish we would have him, but the reality of the situation is, uh, you know, that knee's probably going to take a week or two to heal him and uh, get him back to where he has some confidence that he can play on it. So it'll be day-to-day, but uh, we're not planning on him playing this week. So does that change how the offense is going to get run or maybe throw in J.J. Koski in there? or how, What do you think? No, we'll, we got Corey Fox, who was out last week, who'll come back and help out a little bit as far as the – extended formation stuff and then the other stuff where we're under center uh, we have two or three other guys that we feel very confident they can come in and play so it's just that like I said before you lose that 10 500 meters that's that's a loss but the reality of the situation is is that uh, we're pretty comfortable that we can still do what we do under center uh, with the guys we have behind them Malcolm Davis DJ Peluso uh, DJ Cooper and then we can also do what we want to do throwing it because we can extend it and put Corey Fox who's been out the last couple of weeks himself but is back this week so I think we'll be okay Kyle is certainly special spread in the field, but coach, the team has a lot of different ball carries that do a lot of different things. Can you explain to our audience the specific talents of each one of these ball carries and how that translates to the way they're used on the field? Yeah, I don't think there's any question that we have a variety of different types of guys. You know, I'll start with the senior Corey Garcia. He's probably our most complete player as far as being a catcher, a blocker, and a runner. Uh, but he understands who he is. He's not 10, 500 meter guy, but he's real smooth when he runs. Number two, number one, number two, he has great vision with the ball. So when we get him to the perimeter, or even some of the inside runs we give him, he has great vision and kind of finds his way to air or openings and does some great things with uh, with his abilities and his eyes. Uh, I think that Kyle Lewis, I think we've already mentioned who he is. He's a flat speed guy, and we want to get him in space and let him create some space and even more space with his flat vertical speed. He's actually gotten more physical 
over his first couple of years here. If you look at him, he is a physical specimen at about 5'11", 205 pounds. So uh, he's a guy that's probably got, got a future in the game if he continues to uh, go forward. Joe Prothrow, I mean, he is a flat running back that, uh, you know, he was a big tailback in high school and he plays behind a quarterback for us. He has excellent vision, great pad level when he runs. He's smooth. Uh, he's kind of instinctive when he runs. And sometimes running backs uh, try to, predetermine what they're going to do once they get the football. He really reacts to what he sees, and mm. it's in a quick space, so i got to give his reaction time something pretty special, too. And then he's a great finisher, and he's tough. Uh, Jared Mohammed is similar, probably not as instinctive, but very similar in his style and has really come on to become a very capable backup for us, uh, for Joe. And then you have DJ Peluso uh, that, you know, unfortunately has been hurt almost the entire year. He's playing a really bad ankle, and he's a great player, too. And his probably biggest asset is his flat toughness. And Dano too. What about Dano? Because well, <laughs> his usage, you used him a lot on Saturday against. Yeah, East he, you know, and, and he, you know, Chris Brown carried the ball a ton last year as our quarterback, and he, you know, Chris is 6'2", 205 pounds. Yeah. Dano was five foot ten, one hundred eighty eight pounds. So different bodies, but there are times when he's going to have to carry the ball seventeen or eighteen times, and his productivity at one hundred twenty something yards, I think, last week is is who he is. He's extremely quick, extremely tough, and that's probably his enemy because he takes hits maybe mm-hmm. he shouldn't have to take. Uh, but he is really quick and elusive, and he can make people miss in the open field. So he is one of our better runners. And his backup, Khalil Lewis, I mean, Khalil Jenkins, is going to be an outstanding player in his own right. So uh, we feel very fortunate to have the seven, eight running backs that we actually use and that they all can be used and be productive. Head coach of the Cal Poly football team, Tim Walsh, joining us. Coach, have you gotten a chance to sit down and watch this the film from this last week's game against Eastern Washington? Oh, yeah. We were in all day yesterday, so Sunday's okay. a tough day for us but because they're always fun to come in and watch when you win. They're tough when you come in and watch a loss. So what are you watching for as a head coach? Is it more what can I do to put guys in better situations, or are you specifically looking at execution? Well, I start with execution. That's number one. I trust, uh, you know, we have three coordinators, a special teams coordinator, an offensive and a defensive coordinator. And, I, you know, my job is to know what I think they're going to do going into the game with the game plan. But I also want to let them, allow them to have the freedom to execute what they think they need to execute or call, play call. But there are times when I interfere and there's times when I critique on Sunday. So between looking at our execution uh, of what we call and then also what we call and when we call it, is really an important part of my Sundays. And I meet with all three of the coordinators, and we go over what we did well and what we didn't do well, both as coaches and as players. And uh, and at the end of the day, I think we have a pretty good feel that we can put some of that behind us. They'll have player meetings today with their coach position coaches, and first 20 minutes will probably be on Eastern Washington, but the next 35 or 40 minutes will be on Weaver State. Coach, every week I'm out there coming in coming in to go to the gym on Monday mornings, and I see the team out running, doing Monday run. That's kind of a signature t- thing this team has. What are some of your other signature practices or, you know, things that you're known for or what you like to do every week? Well, there are the two things I think the players, one they enjoy and one they don't enjoy. The Monday run I'm not sure is enjoyable, but I think it really makes them feel, their bodies feel much, much better after playing a fo- as physical a football game as we played Saturday night. So to get them up there, it's a 15-minute run. I started doing that 35 or 40 years ago when I first became a head coach. And to have the opportunity to to get the body to sweat and to run, it's, a, it's, it's about 15 to 18 minutes. And it's about a 60-yard jog and a 20-yard sprint without stopping for about 18 minutes. And they probably do about a mile and a half, but they feel much better when they finish it. When they start it, a little lethargic and things like that. And the other one, things we do is our Fridays, 
you know, yeah, we're out there and we, we want to sp- spend uh, special attention probably to special teams for about 15 or 20 minutes. But other than that, it's kind of a hang loose, have fun opportunity. You know, I throw to the defensive line and let them run routes. The yeah. offensive line runs routes. I mean, it's That's it's kind of a day where they can kind of enjoy themselves and make sure that they're going to be loose for the game on Saturday night. Okay, after the game on Saturday, you said we needed to be stand stand up and be men about the loss. What is what does that mean? What are you saying to the guys? What does it mean to stand up and be a man well, I mean, about the loss? Well, we say we, it's we, me, coaches, players, all of us, that we all did some things that maybe were uncharacteristic of who we are, and we need to be good self-evaluators. You know, if I have to continue to evaluate each player on our team, then he probably isn't being honest with himself after a performance like we had the other night. And I think that the same with the coaches. You know, we had some things I wished I got back during the course of the game and and be a good self-evaluator and that's what you do as far as your adult life you got to be you better be a good self-evaluator each day if you really want to get to the plateau you want to get to whether it's in athletics or whatever you've chosen to do in your real world life <laughs> you know and it's coming pretty quick for our players eastern washington a pass first team what's the biggest change preparing for weaver state well i think the biggest one is that they're going to be much more pro stylish and multiple in what they do so maybe somewhat traditional a lot of formation shifts, a lot of formations, period. Uh, probably 50-50 balance and run and pass. Uh, they're, they're, they're different, but they're, they're more of a team that you see a lot of. So you're prepared somewhat by what we've done in the past to play them. Whereas Eastern Washington, the speed and tempo that they played at, uh, some of the things that they did, and, and the guys they do it with are, was an important part of who they are, too. So uh, I think that you know the, the biggest difference is going to be there. I think defensively, Weaver State's a much better defensive team than Eastern Washington. So you know, only scoring 21 points last week, we have to get back to, like you said, our 35 to 40-point output. If we do that, I feel very confident that we can come home with a win. Cal Poly head football coach Tim Walsh. Tim, thanks so much for coming on the Sports Report. Great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, how about that? Good to have Tim on the show. Good to have Tim Walsh, head coach of the Cal Poly Mustangs football team, on the show. I still think I still think that second quarter was it, man. Not capitalizing on that interception, it just set a bad it just set a bad precedent there. They couldn't get that fourth down. They needed to convert those fourth downs. They needed to keep pounding the ball and pounding the rock and converting, so they would tire down that Wash, Eastern Washington team. The missed field goal there to end the second half that was that was just luck, and they weren't able to transition there into any momentum either. Um, but how about that? At halftime, it was so cool. I was I was at the game, and at halftime, you know, I, I've been all over this cross country team. They've been unbelievable. Um, but I didn't even know this, and this was this was too cool. Cal Poly first team ever to sweep all six Big West Conference awards. I mean, my goodness, Clayton Hutchins, men's athlete of the year, Peyton Billow, women's athlete of the year, Justin Robison, men's freshman of the year, and Kate Ratliff, women's freshman of the year. Mark Conover, the coach of the year on both sides. Unbelievable. They're all out there. They're in their lays. Men's and women's teams taking a picture together at the 50-yard line. I'm stoked. And y'all should be too because right after the break, we will have the number 10 ranked cross-country runner in the nation, Peyton Billow, joining us. Stay tuned. This is the Sports Report on KCPR 91.3 FM. Joining us now is sophomore cross-country runner Peyton Billow, already a four-time conference athlete of the week this year. She finished third place overall at pre-nationals a couple of weeks ago and on Saturday led the team to its second consecutive conference championship with a first-place time of 21.04. Peyton, take us through the race, the course, and kind of what it was like to be there. 
Um, it was definitely an amazing experience just to be in Hawaii with pretty much all my best friends. Um, going into the race, we just wanted to start out as a pack and all work together because the conditions were really, really windy because we were on the north shore of the island. And um, it was also pretty humid, so we're not really used to that running mm -hmm. here in San Luis Obispo. Um, so we wanted to start out controlled and as a team. And then um, as the race moved on, just kind of respond to any moves that were made by other athletes on different teams and then just um, try to do our best and focus on running the last mile hard. So were you guys, did you guys have a conservative game plan then coming in? Because it sounded like I listened to Clayton Hutchins interview as well that was coach kind of telling you guys, you know, you guys have proven you're the better runners, play it conservative and then look to make your move, kind of seeing where everyone else is that? Yeah, he definitely wanted us to um, start off the race conservative just because we were definitely the favorites going in. Um, but at the same time, uh, a, a lot of other teams were looking at us for how to run the race as well. So when we went out conservative, most other teams uh, followed that and just stayed with us. Okay. Um, talking, you know, listening to what Clayton had to say as well, the men's team won the championship as well. So you guys swept the Big, Con the Big West Conference. How often do you train with the men's team? Um, we actually train with the men's team over summer when we come up early. We all practice at the same time, but uh, usually our workouts are at different times of the day. So now that school started, the boys practice at 2.15 and we practice at 9 a.m. Um, so, I mean, we see them around a little bit, but most of our training is separated at this point. Peyton, we tried to get this interview set up uh, for last week, but weren't able to because you were still traveling back from Hawaii. Mm -hmm. What's it like being a student athlete and balancing midterms in school, especially traveling all the way back and forth from Hawaii? Um, it's difficult. I'm not going to lie. Um, definitely a lot of stress sometimes, but you just have to remember that um, you're not going to be perfect in school. You're not going to be perfect in running. You just have to do your best to manage both as best as you can. And that's what we all try to do, I think. Cal Poly cross country runner Peyton Billow joining us now. So you're from the Sacramento area, and this weekend is the regionals for the West. Are you, are you familiar with the course? Uh, actually, it's not a high school course. Um, so we just run, I think it's at Hagen Oaks Golf Course, which is funny because growing up, like I've been to that driving range and I had my junior prom and senior ball there, but I've never actually ran it. But um, I'm definitely excited to go in and race it. Uh, being back in my hometown is really exciting. Your time was 21.04 at the conference championships last weekend in Hawaii, but 2011 at pre-nationals in Indiana. What about the course and environment? Explain the difference in times there. Um, definitely the the competition at the pre-nationals meet was really, really high. I mean, there were so many fast girls from all around the country, and so um, being able to run with them and pace off those girls who are more experienced and used to going really fast helped me to run faster at pre-nationals and also um, the conditions at Big West. It was super windy, which slowed us down a lot. And um, we also took it out more conservative on purpose. So just kind of the way um, our head, our mindset was going into the race affected our the difference in time, I think. What are your ideal conditions for running? Like what surface, what what temperature, what humidity, those types of things. Because I've heard so much about this after having Swarnjit boil on the show a little <laughs> bit a few weeks ago. Just, what What are your conditions you like? Uh, my favorite probably would be for cross-country um, dirt. There's a course at UC, uh, UC Riverside's course. Um, it's pretty much all dirt, and I think that, in my opinion, is the fastest, but a lot of the boys prefer grass, so mm. I'm not really sure. 
Um, I don't really like humidity. No humidity. Not about it. <laughs> and maybe like somewhere in the 60s for temperature. But I also love running in the rain and the mud. Um, so it just kind of depends, really. No wind. Definitely no wind. <laughs> Definitely no wind. So you're now up to 10th in the flow track rankings. I'm not, for, for cross country, I'm not a big... It's not like I'm an expert in cross country or the running community. <laughs> what does that mean? Is that significant? And what are the flow track rankings? Um, so flow track is basically like a, a website made by, I guess, like running experts who kind of like analyze collegiate races all across the country and then uh, make rankings based off that. So, I mean, it's nothing official. Like, it's definitely exciting to be ranked and be recognized by those people. Um, it, I'm not going to lie. Like, I definitely idolize a lot of the girls on that list and um finally starting to be be a part of it is really really exciting but at the same time um it's not a result it's just a ranking so i definitely want to keep keep working harder and um definitely try to prove to myself that i belong on when you're on in high list. school did you already sort of idolize some of those girls did you know who, were you aware of some of those girls or did are you since you're kind of somewhat close in age did they kind of make a name for themselves after you already got into college Kind of both. Um, I definitely knew a lot of them in high school because I, um, a lot of them are from California, and so I'd like seen them in high school too. But also, um, a bunch of those girls um, also got a lot better once they were in college. So okay, listening to your interview after pre nationals, you said you were shocked in a happy way about how well <laughs> you did. Why were you shocked? Um, I guess I just didn't really um, like I. I don't know. I mean, just finally running with that with that pack of girls after I've looked up to them for such a long time was just, I don't know, it was just kind of really, it, I surprised myself, I guess. <laughs> I'm not really sure. <laughs> yeah. A big part of those races, like the one at pre-nationals, is strategy and when to make your move. What are the factors mm -hmm. you look at when deciding when you make a move and kind of want to pick your pick up your pace? I pretty much just go off how I feel. Uh, for pre-nats, I went out in probably like the top top 30 or so and then I kind of just held the same pace for a while and a lot of other girls I think had gone out a little bit too hard so they kind of fell back and that kind of gave me confidence to just try to keep moving up and pick off one girl at a time and then um, try to save a little bit of energy for the final kick I guess. Cal Poly cross-country runner Peyton Billow joining us now. Peyton, you know, I mentioned I had Swarnja Boyle on the show a couple weeks ago. I see some differences between you guys. One, he didn't even run. He wasn't even recruited here to run. You're kind of like, in a lot of ways, kind of the star athlete after being so successful your freshman year. Um, you, I've noticed you kind of have an easygoing, happy attitude, especially in all your <laughs> post-race interviews, whereas Swarnja, it's kind of like, you know, I kind of grinded for this. I proved myself. I don't even know where I'm going with this, but there's... <laughs> I, there's something interesting there between runners who have a chip on their shoulder and runners who are just like just happy with what they're doing. Do you think that translates into the style people run in the races or am I just making all this up? No, I think I think that's a good point uh, for me, like a, a really big part of um, my like, I don't know, philosophy, I guess, as a runner is just always remembering to have fun. Like that's always so important to me. And the more fun I'm having, usually the better I'm performing but I know that's not true for everybody. Like Sworn definitely um, 
takes racing very seriously, and I do too, but it's just in a different way, I guess. And yeah, so. and he loves it so much, yeah. but you also have the sense he has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. Like, mm-hmm. he proved himself, and he made something of himself, and he, you know, mm-hmm. he came from the bottom, whereas yeah, sworn... you kind of were recruited out of high school, you know? Mm-hmm. Sworn, sworn works so hard. I mean, I can't say enough about that guy. Like, I, he, I look up to him so much for... The mileage he puts in and how hard he's worked to get to this point where he is on the men's team is just amazing. Like, I, he's amazing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, we want to wish all of you guys, the men's and women's teams, luck at uh, the West Regional this weekend in Sacramento. Peyton, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yep, that was Peyton Billow of the women's cross-country team. This is the Sports Report on KCPR 91.3 FM, and we'll be right back. Welcome to another baseball segment on the Sports Report on KCPR 91.3. I am your host, Nate Edelman, with my co-host, J.B. Garcia. How's it going, Nate? I was waiting for him to respond. Um, So this is our last baseball sort of edition for the Sports Report for now because, sadly, the World Series is over, but it ended on a really high note. Yeah, the Cubs walked away with the Commissioner's Trophy. Kind of shocking to uh, all of us, especially now that the Warriors aren't the only team to blow a 3-1 lead. Yep, that is true. Uh, the Cleveland Indians or Cleveland fans cannot brag about 3-1 leads anymore because the Indians blew a 3-1, 3-1 lead against the Cubs and the Cubs won 8-7 in 10 innings and there was a rain delay between the ninth and 10th inning, which added to the drama, I would say. Can we just talk about that game for a second? It was... Uh- I stopped watching around the fifth inning, to be honest, because I thought, oh, the Cubs are winning. The Indians aren't going to be able to scratch back. And then I get a a notification around the eighth inning. It's tied 6-6. And so I immediately ran over to my TV, saw the highlight of Rajay Davis's home run, and then the rain delay happened. That ending was phenomenal. Yeah, I actually, I didn't watch the beginning of the World Series. I watched like the seventh inning, and I saw six to three Cubs. I'm like, Oh boy, whatever. Like this is, you know, I I wanted a little more excitement, and then the home run, and then I couldn't turn it off. Like I didn't, I didn't care that there was a rain delay. I just, I just knew that I had to keep it on because I, we were told during the rain delay that it would come back. So it's just an amazing World Series. And here is the final call by Pat Hughes, um, Cubs announcer. Final call, World Series, top of the tenth. Cubs win. Two down. Cubs lead by a run. Tying run at first. A little bouncer slowly toward Bryant. He will glove it and throw to Rizzo. It's in time. And the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. The longest drought in the history of American sports is over, and the celebration begins. It is over. The Cubs are World Series champions. How does that sound, partner? Well, it's, it's a long oh. time coming, but it sounds wonderful. They sound very, very uh, relieved, and as they should, the Cubs uh, did not win. This was uh, 108 years ago they last won, so there was a lot of excitement and joy for Cubs fans, especially for the elderly Cubs fans who have been sitting and waiting for their team. I saw, I remember seeing a video of like an 80-year-old man sitting on a couch and like celebrating, and that went viral. So I really feel for those people more than anyone else because waiting for your team to win, that is something I am still doing as a Dodgers fan. So... Um, It'll be sweeter once sweet uh, when the Dodgers win. 
Yeah, but uh, I guess our biggest question is with baseball, what now? Uh, what do what do we have look to look forward to? Uh, you know, free agency is coming up. Uh, we have a lot of interesting storylines we can follow. Uh, the Cubs parade was actually really nice to watch. Uh, there's some nice moments in there. Just looking back, uh, and Cubs Cubs fans Cubs fans completely deserve this title. Uh, they've stuck through with their team for so long, and you know they've been waiting. The Cubs delivered, and uh, yeah, it was a really nice moment for all of Chicago. Um, here is um, Anthony Rizzo, first baseman for the Cubs, talking about David Ross, um, the catcher, on how much he meant to the Cubs because David Ross has been on the team and he is a veteran uh, presence. Before I introduce him, I want to say a few words about him, uh, the grandpa. He, uh, Gramps and I sat down a few years ago uh, in an offseason before his last year with Boston. He was a free agent. And we just talked, and uh, I, we have the same agency, and we're talking. And I, and I say to my agent, I go, man, this is exactly what the Chicago Cubs need. He is exactly what we need to bring everything together. And obviously a lot of pieces came through with that, but he taught myself personally how to, how to become a real winner. And woo, he's, like a, he's like a brother to me. He's taught me how to be. He's taught me a lot in life, on the field, off the field, how to be a better person. Uh, for, I'm forever grateful for him. And uh, he's going out a champion forever. For the rest of his life, he could say the last game he played in, he's a world champion. Uh, let's bring up David Ross. So that was uh, Anthony Rizzo talking about David Ross. This is uh, Sports Report 91.3 KCPR. And what a cool moment for Anthony Rizzo and David Ross and for all the uh, Cubs fans who have been waiting for so long. It's They definitely deserve it, as we said before. Yeah, and what about Theo Epstein? The curse breaker is I is what I should be calling him for the rest of his life, breaking the curse in Boston and now in Chicago. You know, Do you want to break your team's curse? Hire Theo Epstein as GM. Uh, yeah, we, I know um, we like to talk about uh, players and professional sports, but players would be nothing without management, and that just proves again with Theo Epstein. Theo Epstein comes to Boston, breaks the curse, comes to the Cubs. It's just the amount of work he's done. It people he should be talked about more, and he should definitely win any accolades give um, thrown for managers or whatever. Yeah, Mr. Epstein, if you're listening uh, and you need you have some free time, please uh, come manage my life. Yeah, I would uh, I would uh, extend that offer to uh, me as well because you do seem like you know what you're doing. I. You know, there's a there's a decent chance you're listening, so um, that is uh, something uh, you should consider. But now, since uh, we are moving on to past the World Series and the season and the playoffs, we are down to free agency, and free agency is very very exciting this year because there's a lot of moving parts and there's a lot of people. Yeah. So last night was actually the deadline for uh, teams to extend their qualifying offers to their pending free agents. And for those of you who don't know uh, what qualifying offers are. Basically, you're, the teams are extending a one-year deal uh, to these free agents, and these free agents can either accept the deal uh, at the base salary, and this year it happens to be $15.8 so not a bad base salary. But 
like I said, it's a one year deal. And if they don't accept the the deal, then they get, you know, to test the free agent market. And I guess the benefit for the team extending the offer would be that if the player you either, you know, get a player who you wanted to keep or, you know, you get a draft pick in compensation because the player decided to go elsewhere. So bunch of qualifying offers being extended out yesterday. Uh, I know the Dodgers extended offers to Justin Turner and Kenley Jansen. Uh, there's a couple other players. Uh, Cespedes declined his qualifying offer. You know, so Edwin Encarnacion, Jose Batista of the Blue Jays also received qualifying offers. There's a lot of free agents out there this year that are, you know, looking to get paid big bucks. Um, yeah, so just to uh, name some free agents out there for you, uh, according to MLB.com, Justin Turner is the number one free agent available. Um, UN says we talked about before, there's definitely going to be a bidding war. Um, since for San Francisco Giants fans, you might want to be interested in him. He could come. The The word on the street is that Cespedes might ride this uh, bidding train to a $150 million contract, which is insane. Wow. So there's... What's funny is that there's no salary cap in baseball, so you could basically offer whatever you feel like. Um, so if you want to go pro and you want to make a lot of money, think about baseball. Anyway, so we have Cespedes and Turner at the top of the list. Edwin Encarnacion. Dexter Fowler from the Cubs will be an interesting play because he will be, uh, what is it, 31 next season, and he had a great year with the Cubs. I actually think he does stay with the Cubs, to be honest. That's a... Uh, yeah, that's a safe prediction. He was a, a good voice. And then we have, uh, rounding out the top 10, we have uh, Josh Reddick, Ian Desmond, uh, Wilson Ramos, um, and then Arliss Chapman, which is a very interesting case, and uh, Neil Walker for the Pirates. Or for the Mets, I'm sorry. Yeah, so a lot of, lot of names out there, a lot of moving pieces. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens throughout this off season, you know, the win- winter meetings are going to be coming up in about a month or so, uh, where a lot of a lot of trades happen, a lot of uh, executive executives get some face time with each other, get to talk uh, baseball. So it's going to be an exciting 2017 season. I could already feel it. Yeah, and the uh, for those who don't know, um, the winter meetings, which happen in December, are um, when owners uh, talk with once with them amongst each other and uh, discuss deals and free agency and stuff like that. So it's actually it's actually really funny that baseball does that. Like you don't see uh, at the NBA or uh, the NFL just have meetings where all the owners just you know you know grab a cup of coffee and talk or whatever. But we don't know what's happening in these meetings. But that's just that's just my funny guess. But um, just to mention some more free agents, um, Mark Melanson um, from the Nationals is a really good play. I know, once again, I keep mentioning the Giants because we do have a San Francisco Giants audience. Um, they Giants do need a reliever. Maybe go after him. and then You'd uh, surely fill up that closing role for sure. He definitely will. And then um, what's funny for the Dodgers is that there's so many free agents. Like we have Justin Turner. We have Rich Hill. We have Kenley Jansen. Those are really those were the three best arms the Dodgers had. Or not the three best arms. Just the two with Rich Hill and Kenley Jansen, but they are two very big names, and especially for Kenley Jansen, he deserves big money, and it's the question of how much the Dodgers are going to offer to him. So we will keep you updated um, if any big signing goes on. But as we move on to uh, 
our new uh, segment for the show is the NBA, and we're going to talk about basketball. Yeah, basketball. Basketball is back. It's been about a week, but uh, it's been an interesting kind of couple couple games we've seen here. A uh, couple already, you know, postseason preview games. We saw the Warriors take on the Thunder at home, which was an electric game. Uh, KD absolutely dominated that game on both ends of the floor uh, in his first time playing against former teammate Russell Westbrook. Um, you know, even Westbrook, though, has been looking really solid in his first solo act. Yeah, I have to tell you, when this season started, I'm like, uh, well, you know, the Warriors are going to be good and the Cavs are going to be good. Why do I need to watch? And I've been dead wrong, and I'm super happy about that. As you were saying, um, Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant, uh, Kevin Durant left uh, his buddy Russell in free agency, and they clearly don't like each other. Um, they didn't. I don't think they acknowledged each other in the game against they played uh, last weekend. Yeah, there's a lot of bitterness. You could see it in the pregame interviews and the postgame interviews. Uh, Russ just wants nothing to do with KD anymore. He, he wants to fly solo. He wants everyone to recognize that, you know, this is his team now. He's going to lead the Thunder to the playoffs. Uh, but, you know, after watching a couple games, yeah, they're in first place in the Western Conference. Yeah, they're 5-1. and one. But Russ is going to need some help. Yeah, it doesn't It doesn't feel like um, this Russell's idea or whatever the Thunder are doing will be a long-term solution, even though they did lock up um, Steven Adams and Victor Oladipo for big money. So they are definitely invested in these guys, but it is curious to see if they will make a trade in the future or anything that will get them further up um, to challenge the Warriors. But right now, it doesn't seem like they are doing so. But it is early in the season, and um, our Lakers, JB, they are looking very great. It's the, just the really Lakers fun to watch. The are finally fun to watch again, and it's been a long time, since 2010, I would say since the Lakers have been actually fun to watch. Um, as you could probably guess, uh, as JB and I are both Dodgers fans, we are also both Lakers fans, so uh, there you go. But I, I would agree with that. I mean, when the Lakers got Mike Brown, the game was kind of boring and slow. Mike D'Antoni didn't work out. The drama with Dwight Howard and Steve Nash never playing, that was just oh my God, what a, a nightmare. Horrible trade. And um, Byron Scott was the tank commander. He was actually... He was awful. And in comes Luke Walton, who um, I wasn't sure was going to be a great coach because the only uh, you know uh, thing we he had on his record was um, his intern coach for the best regular season team in NBA history. And uh, I remember when uh, TNT did like an inside tracks, uh, Luke Walton just said, okay, guys, defense, 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 and then just leaves. I'm like, oh, that's, that's, that's uh, Luke Walton. Interesting. I mean, you don't really have to say much to the best team in the, in the league and in- you know, it, he's proven well, though. You know, he's def, you could definitely see a lot of Warriors basketball in this young Lakers team. They're no longer playing iso ball. They're moving the ball around. Nick Young has seemingly come rejuvenated into this season, playing solid defense and just knocking down shots. Yeah, appar- just, yeah. apparently uh, Nick Young is calling himself Uncle P instead of Swaggy P. So, well, yeah, when you look at it, he's the Grizzly veteran on the on this Lakers team, along with Lou Aldang and uh, Lou Will. Uh, it's just this team is just so young; they have no 
real identity right now. And Ma- and Mozgov has been looking good. He's been getting he's been getting a lot of criticism for his contract signing and his uh, money, but he is doing so far a good job. And right now the Lakers are four and three, which is better than anyone probably could have expected at this point. So we'll keep an eye on them as they are uh, a fun team to watch, and they're it's a bright future finally in Los Angeles um, with D'Angelo Russell, Julius Randle, um, Nick Young uh, being you know not a cancer to his team. But we'll, we will keep an eye on them. And the Warriors, what do you think, JB, that the Warriors, they're looking human? Why is that? They're supposed to be better with KD and Kevin Durant on their team. And they have four all-stars on their team. But right now they are not looking nearly as impressive, impressive as they were last season. What do you think? I think they have a lot of holes. And they were definitely evident in their game against the Lakers in L.A. Uh, they just have no rim protection. No, you know, big bodies that can clog the lanes and contest shots. I mean, Zaza Pachulia is their number one guy right now, and frankly, he's way below average, comp- at least compared to what they had last year with Bogut and Festus Azili. Those guys could at least, you know, you know, were the tough guys, but like knew where to draw the line. Whereas it seems to me Zaza is just trying to pick a fight every time he gets posterized. Yeah, when you're driving down the lane, who are you scared of? Uh, Zaza Petulia or Andrew Bogut? I would definitely more be more afraid of Andrew Bogut because Zaza Petulia is not really the most physical specimen. I mean, he is still like a fine player, and he did well on a lowly Dallas team before joining the Warriors. But this is uh, every... And I remember watching the Lakers game against the uh, Warriors where the Lakers won by 20 points. And... Um, um, Doug Collins said the the Warriors will be um, examined at with a microscope every night. And I don't know if a player like Zaza Pachulia is a person to handle that, at least right now. Yeah, and I think the story for this Warriors team is going to be exactly that. You know, some nights they're going to look like, you know, the best team in the universe scoring 145, you know, balls moving, Steph... Thompson, KD, you know, Draymond are all in double figures. Uh, Draymond's averaging a triple-double. There, there's going to be those games. And on the op- on the other hand, there's going to be those games where they just look out of sync. There's no threes going in. I mean, Steph Curry just lost his streak of 157 games consecutive with a three-pointer. Uh, that ended against the Lakers. Uh, so there are going to be those games. I just don't think there's any in-between for this Warriors team. Yeah, when the Warriors uh, lost to the Lakers, it was off a back-to-back night, an emotional victory over the Thunder, as we talked about at the beginning of the bas- of our basketball uh, part of the show. Um, so you're right. It's just they have to still get used to each other. I, off- I often think of the uh, 2010 Miami Heat. The LeBron joins the D-Wade and Chris Bosh, and everyone goes, oh, my God, oh, my God, you know, championship. And they definitely had some bumps in the road to start yeah, the season, but they still have... Growing pains is what it is. Yeah, yeah. it is growing pains. You know, I think in just, just looking back and how uh, lineups are set up, uh, the current you know five-man rotations, I honestly think that KD would have been better off going to San Antonio. And here's why. Wow. You have Tony Parker at the one, and then you put Kawhi at the two, KD at the three, Aldridge at the four, and Pau Gasol at the five. That's a huge lineup. 
Well, would they have signed Pau Gasol if they signed Kevin Durant? I have no doubts Pau Gasol was going to end up in San Antonio regardless. Wow, look at uh, J.B. Garcia with his NBA insider um, knowledge. And more of this will be coming in future weeks for uh, for us as we break down basketball some more. And before we go, um, let's talk about some teams that we feel are maybe fool's gold. Just to look at the season. Let's just look at the standings really quick. Right now you have the Charlotte Hornets at 4-1. Second place in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, that does not look like they're going to last the Hornets. Their best player is uh, Kemba Walker. Uh, Nick Batum, uh, maybe not. Yeah, they're not going anywhere. So we think that uh, the Charlotte Hornets are uh, fool's gold. And um, another team that we are surprised to have a little slow start is uh, the Boston Celtics. They are 3-3, but they should climb up with their... They have a very well-coached team with Brad Stevens, and they're very talented, but... Who's going to really stop the Cavs, honestly? Nobody. Nobody in the Eastern Conference, at least. The Eastern Conference has just lost all of their, you know, their manpower, if you, if I do say so. Uh, they just doesn't look at as competitive as the West anymore. And, you know, the Knicks aren't going to be a competitive team, even though they have Derrick Rose and Joe Kim Noah. Uh, the Pacers don't look like the Pacers of themselves in the early uh 2010 era when they were battling the Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, the Bucks aren't going to stay with a winning record, or they, you know, they might have a winning record, but they're, they're a 500 team. Yeah, they're yeah. I would say plus or minus, usually right there around 500. Yeah, I would definitely say uh, the New York Knicks. You know, Derek Rose on the signs with the Knicks and says, "Oh, we're a super team." Well, your super team is two and four. So sorry, Derek. Um, Moving to the West Western Conference, we have some surprising names in the uh, top half of the Western Conference, but, you know, we are super, super early in, so we're not going to make too much of that. But uh, the L.A. Clippers are doing really, really well. They uh, beat the Spurs um, on the road by uh, double digits. So it is. we will definitely be talking about them because they are definitely a fun team to talk about just because of their history and their... Uh, their fan base and everything like that from uh, the Clippers. Yeah, a small surprise for me coming out of the Western Conference, even though it is still early, is the New Orleans Pelicans are 0-5. 0-5 after, you know, Anthony Davis has been dropping 50 points on opening night, 39 a second night. You know, he's scoring the ball, but it just goes to show that the Pelicans have nothing else. Nothing else to offer but Anthony Davis. And Anthony Davis is, is frankly, probably not going to stay healthy the entire season. It's just unfortunate. There's so much potential with this team. You know, they have Drew Holiday, who doesn't stay healthy. They they just drafted Buddy Heald, who could be a prolific scorer uh, if given the the correct opportunity. And then you have Anthony Davis, you know, who's pretty much unguardable. so it's just unfortunate that, you know, pieces are falling apart there in New Orleans. Yeah, it feels like it's Anthony Davis and just a bunch of D-leaguers. It's kind of funny. But I do I do feel for him. It kind of feels like almost like a Dwight Howard Orlando kind of situation where he just separates. Dwight Howard kind of separated himself from the Magic and almost felt bigger than the Magic at some points. And Anthony Davis has the same. But um that is all of our time for this week. We are super excited to talk about basketball next week. Or we're, we are just putting our toe into the pool with all these different topics and uh, teams we could talk about. Um, but we'll be right back after this break.
Well, I managed to track down my co-host Dan Dempster. He does the power rankings for us every week. I know he's busy on Tuesdays and it's election day too. Dan, thanks for stopping by and giving us a little bit of your insight. Oh, of course. I'm glad to do it. Anyway, without any further ado, coming in at number 10, a lot of people I think would disagree with me on this, but I have the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think I have to disagree, and I'm a fan. <laughs> I I know you do, but I I think this team has so much talent that you can't leave them out. Now that Ben's back, they had a pretty rough couple past weeks. I mean, they lost to Miami. That was kind of weird. You didn't expect that. They had a big loss earlier in this season. Yeah, the Eagles. Yeah, and the Eagles are kind of slacking off i think now but anyway back to the sealers well they're not slacking off it's just uh carson wentz is actually being a rookie now he's not pulling yeah, a big no. ben and going 15 and 1 i think the pressure da- is settling into carson wentz dak, dak might pull a big ben and go 15 and 1 oh, but we'll yeah. see oh, who, who knows? so so with the steelers but, you're convinced but i like the steelers that i think like with many other teams in the league they have to spread the ball around a lot more and not rely on antonio brown and Le'Veon Bell so much. I got this stat from ESPN. No wide receiver has more than 20 receptions other than Antonio Brown. Yeah, Sammy I was just going Sam- to mention that. Marcus Wheaton, oh, he's been hurt this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Eli Rogers made some nice catches yesterday. Yeah. But then Sammy Coates, some drops. He has and- a lot of drops. I think he just needs to tune it in. He's, he's got 20. And Le'Veon Bell, he's missed three games, but he has 36 receptions still. Yeah, you know, he's a fantasy workhorse. Oh, of course. But did you see that onside kick by Chris Boswell? Oh, you hear about that? <laughs> I liked it. A little little fancy, <laughs> a little artistic. No, I didn't like it. It was it was awful. I don't know yeah, what was, was worse. Bad. I don't know what was worse, Boswell or um who was the other guy who attempted an onside kick? It was pretty bad. He kicked it like thirty yards down the field, but just a squib kick. <laughs> just a squib kick. But yeah, I think I like that defense still and I think they got a lot of offensive weapons. They just got to work with them and keep pounding away. And, I mean, with Ben out, they had a pretty hard schedule with playing the Pats, too. And they only lost by eight points against the Pats without yeah. Ben. And the Pats are in our later in our power rankings. And for those of you who are desperate to know, it was Zwerline on the Rams who had that terrible squib onside. Uh, yeah. Boswell's went backwards. Zwerline's 30 yards down the field. So, number nine, Dan. Number nine, the New York Giants, currently second in the NFC East. A very good conference this year, which hasn't been the case in the past couple of years. Uh, the Giants are started off pretty slow, but they're on a three-game winning streak now with a pretty good win against the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. No, the Eagles, my thing was I thought the Eagles just played bad and mm-hmm. Carson Wentz got this some garbage time, got, got some garbage time touchdowns, but that wasn't the case. Yeah. I watched the tape. Actually, interestingly, Doug Peterson going for it like twice, giving up, passing on field goals, going for it on fourth down, looking like Tim Walsh out there for the Cal Poly Mustangs. Uh, Cal Poly Mustangs coach Tim Walsh going for it from his own 29 yard line against Eastern Washington earlier in uh, on Saturday. But I thought. Yeah, I thought I thought the Eagles game was a little bit surprising. Maybe they're not that bad, but because the Giants kind of let them hang in there, and then the Eagles. I mean, Carson Wentz two early picks, but also they didn't have the con- the conversions on fourth down in the first half, so they could have put up a lot of points early. I don't know. Yeah, 
Well, I I think this New York Giants offense still has a lot of firepower. They got Odell Beckham. I th- I like their young wide receivers, Sterling Shepard. Oh, I like their core. Guys. It's a great core. Uh, you know, they might need to <clears throat> excuse me find a little help down the road at running back, but you know, I think they're a solid top ten team as of now. Yeah, you don't want to start Orleans Darqua on a weekly basis. <laughs> not not the idea. Anyway, moving on to number eight. I have the Houston Texans just because I had them in there last week. They were on by this week. So, like I said last week, I like their defense. They need to figure out what they're doing on the road. They're on three. They're playing great at home, though, which is keeping them. Yeah, last week I was upset you had the Texans in there, but this week I'm fine with it, even though they didn't play because all the other teams that I thought deserved to be in the top 10, now I don't think they do. So yeah, you look at all these borderline teams like Packers, who should be doing a lot better. Steelers, Eagles, um, Panthers, Panthers, Arizona Cardinals, um, Chargers maybe. Chargers, yeah, I was (laughs) thinking about them for a bit. So so yeah, yeah. AFC West, best division in football. Definitely, I almost had um, each AFC West team in the top ten. Yeah, if, if yeah, the sneak the Chargers in. in there. So, and that leads us, are the Chiefs up next? The Chiefs are up next. So, you got them at what spot? Number seven spot? Number seven. I didn't like, I don't like how their offense is playing right now, but that's because Alex Smith is still Yeah, yeah, back. you can't you can't freak out about it. I mean, Spencer Ware was out. Jamal Charles is out for the season, maybe back for the playoffs. So, you got Char, Char in there, Trichandrick West, and then you got the backup QB, Nick Foles. Macklin, I think he put up a big fat zero on the day in fantasy. He did. <laughs> and I would know. Yeah, you I would know, Dan. So for me, I'm a little concerned, but also it shows their depth. They were still able to put up 19 on offense. Their defense is healthy and stacked and mm-hmm. deep. Still making plays. They make yeah. a play every weekend. I mean, I would normally be concerned if a top 10 team like the Chiefs wins by five against the Jags, even with the Jags garbage time TDs. But I think it's okay given that they're a little bit banged up. Yeah, and if you look at uh, the previous matchups with Denver and Oakland, they, um, I mean, they played pretty well against those two teams. I feel like those are those their only two losses, or they beat Denver, right? Can't remember to be honest. Not a big Chiefs yeah. guy. So, what do we got? Uh, number, anyway, yeah, number seven or number six. Number six, Seattle Seahawks. I Seattle. Like, yeah. Hey, you know what, Russell, coming back a little bit. Uh huh. Yeah. Got some spruce in his step. Yeah. <laughs> Christine Russell, Michael. Mm-hmm. Russell Wilson is, I think, the second winningest quarterback in the league in the past four years behind Tom Brady. Yeah. That guy, when you have him at the helm, it's it's pretty easy to win. Yeah. Seattle just kind of doing their thing. We'll we'll see what happens with them. Yeah. Um, moving on, another AFC West team, the Broncos, losing this week at Oakland. Yeah, I think five or four is about the right spot for him. The defense is still... I mean, they put up 30 on him, but watching the game last night, I thought it was just the O-line of Oakland kind of getting the edge on the D-line. That that secondary is still suffocating. Yeah, I mean... Like they can they can deal with Simeon. They can live with Simeon. I think yeah, I think they're a good enough team. They're gonna win some more games with Simeon. Oh no um, doubt. They'll probably get into the playoffs. I would be surprised if they miss the playoffs. Oh, certainly I think they will. The 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 thing is the AFC West is probably gonna send two teams. I think they'll have both wild card teams. 
AFC North's gonna have one playoff team. It's not looking good over there yeah, it, at four and four. Not at all. Uh, the South, they're sending one. No chance mm. they're sending two. Tennessee is not gonna break away. Colts aren't gonna break away. Texans, Texans aren't. Are. One of those teams is gonna win close. Same with the AFC North. And then the East, no, no team's gonna make the wild card from the East either. Yeah, no I'm, chance. It's gonna be the Patriots far and away, and it's gonna be the Patriots and then another team one two from the AFC West one two there in the playoffs. Yeah, the AFC is. Yeah, things AFC are shaping West up. Is carrying. The yeah, and AFC. things are shaping up in the AFC. I think. I think what I'm saying isn't even like a crazy like looking in a crystal ball. I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and you kind of always see this kind of pattern play out. I feel like um, each year almost there's one conference that just dominates. Yeah, and it's been the AFC North for a little bit. For a while, yeah, it, it uh, was, you know, yeah. with Baltimore, Cincy, and Steelers mm-hmm. sending two wild card teams, but and then now the Chiefs started getting into the wild card, and then it would be two AFC North teams, two AFC West teams, and now AFC West has taken over three mm-hmm. AFC West teams. But yeah, D- Denver, I think they'll be fine. I mean, they've got a little bit to worry about uh, on the running back end with CJ Anderson out and a little bit of fumble issues with Devontae Booker, but mm-hmm. I think they'll be fine. Yeah, they got a lot of talent. Defense on that is stacked. Team. Uh, moving on, the Falcons with a 43-28 to victory over the Buccaneers. Yeah, Getting a little revenge from that first loss, that week one loss. I bet the Falcons on Thursday, first Thursday night bet, uh, took that one home. Even though they're the favorites, they got to cover. I mean, I, I like the Falcons a lot. Yeah, Matt, you can see them in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Because, no, because, no, because the Cowboys, you just don't know. Like, mm-hmm. w- I mean, Cowboys hype train, you know, full steam ahead if they keep rolling. But, I mean, the Falcons, they're there too. I mean, yeah, the next team I have in the uh, NFC is the Seahawks in the right behind. I mean, right. Behind uh, my the question Falcons. is the offense with the Seahawks. You know, I, I and mm-hmm. the Falcons were able to get beat up, beat the Seahawks at, with that Muhammad Sunu touchdown late. I don't know. I think. I think the Falcons. Have, oh, was the Falcons good, lost that game. The yeah, Falcons, Falcons lost that game. Lose. You're right. Seattle. I'm mixing that up. Falcons should have won that game. There's a bad call. Yeah, um, yeah Falcons, mm. and Falcons could have even more wins. Look at that. Yeah, I I like this Falcons team. I like that offense. Their defense is pretty good too, but I think they need to step it up a little. They've been giving up a lot of points in the past few weeks, but that offense. I mean, it doesn't even matter if the defense can't. I mean, as long as the defense is holding them to under, what, 30 points a game, no more than four touchdowns, Yeah, that, Falcon, so you, that Falcons offense can cover that. With yeah. Matt Ryan just chucking the ball downfield, it, it's money every weekend. Yeah, so you got the Cowboys in there um, at number two. Yeah, well, before the Raiders. We, we talked about the Raiders. Enough. Oh, right, 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 Raiders. Yeah. Raiders at three, strong offense, uh, that O-line coming through. Latavius Murray having a great game, bouncing back well after that injury. Uh, Car spreading the ball around as per usual, and I like yeah, this Raiders Yeah, it could team. be crazy have a rematch of that AFC Championship game where the Raiders lost to the Patriots. The just tuck with this, rule. The tuck rule, mm. the start of Tom Brady's dominance, um, the start of his career. That'd be ex- that would be that would be exciting. And imagine it at home <laughs> for the Raiders. Imagine the animosity. Yeah, that ooh. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be in Oakland for that game. I wouldn't want to be. I just wouldn't want to be a Patriot. I just wouldn't want to be a Patriot. Yeah. So true. yeah, we've talked enough about the Raiders. Cowboys, thirty-five to ten over Cleveland. Jason Witten's back. Jason Cole Beasley Witten. spreading the ball around. Yeah. Des Des an emotional mess, but they still went thirty-five to ten. And last week he was excellent. So mm-hmm. 
I feel great about this team. They avoided the trap game. Yeah. I mean, nothing too special, but that's that's exactly how the Cowboys wanted this weekend to play out. They they didn't want a headline. Oh, they just want to keep game. the momentum. Yeah, just same thing. Dak Prescott, Zeke Elliott doing well. And yeah. Like a lot of these teams at the lower end of the top 10, you know, Steelers especially, maybe squeaking up to the Chiefs, they'll find ways to disappoint you. Mm-hmm. The Cowboys haven't done that. They've just taken care of business. They've they've been more like the Patriots than the Steelers, and that's what I like about the Cowboys. They haven't disappointed. They've kept their business. They've kept rolling, and they've just they've just kept kept their you know kept their hot you know streak going. Yeah, I think the NFC East, those final conference games between what Cowboys still have to play the Giants. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, still I, have to I, play I the think the Cowboys will Eagles. be fine. They're they're looking pretty yeah, good now. But, but I think those games will be really good. Yeah, Eagles, Giants, and, they, and Redskins all vying, and and that would be where they could mm-hmm. send two of the wild card teams. That yeah, there's potential. Yes. Anyway, let's wrap up the top ten. We have Patriots at number one. I nothing mean, to say. Yeah, nothing to really nothing say. Nothing to say that a sports fan hasn't heard before. Very true. So some teams that didn't make the top ten that we got some sound bites for you. Vikings. Vikings. They're out. Why? They were in there last week. They're out this week. Why? I think this offense needs uh I don't know. They this need offense. their old they, they, either, need, they need AP and They need their old offensive <laughs> coordinator. That's what they need. And yeah, AP. They just need AP, Teddy Bridgewater. I I don't know. Oh this what? Team. Oh I think they I Sam, like Teddy. I like uh, Sam. I watched some tape. Look, he's accurate. I mean, he's, I watch yeah, I watch the completions, just, not the incompletions. I don't and, give the O line a chance to reboot. Come on. Okay. I mean, I think they scraped it at eleven. It was hard to <laughs> it was hard to put them out, but it's just three yeah, game, the NFC North. Three game losing streak, it doesn't bode well. And it doesn't really look that good. And if you had to cheer for a team in the NFC North, who would you cheer for? I think Lions. I like that I like Stafford. I like that Stafford's kind of on a little bit of fire, and yeah, they Jim Bob Cooter's fun to say. <laughs> that how about that touchdown in overtime? I love that. Oh, that was Golden crazy. Tate, maybe the biggest troll in the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Uh, maybe that flip was yeah. But crazy. Mike Zimmer, yeah. Mike Zimmer, you know, Golden Tate was happy. Mike, Mike, not so happy. Blair Walsh's job, the kicker, now in jeopardy radio that you guys are going to work out kickers can you elaborate in the decision on why to do it now i mean obviously because of stem from yesterday you you haven't been watching all year yeah and then they start laughing we'll cut that off so yeah and then blair 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 feeling the pressure as well snapping a little bit back at the reporters inside the locker room you guys are going to ask me this question a million times did it feel good did i make it no i didn't do i have to yes do i want to yes so just I mean, if you got something else, please. It's not that I'm frustrated with you. It's just you guys got to understand that what, what do you want the answer to be, you know? I mean, I want to be there for my team. Of course I do. But, I mean, come on. You guys ask the same question every week. Did you make it? Do you, you know, why didn't it go in? You know, if I had the answer right away, I'd tell you. I'm confident what I'm doing. I know that I'm going to be fine. But it's tough right now. I don't know the player's going to be fine. Yeah, I don't know either. Mike, Mike's that ruthless, comes from Cincy, defensive coordinator, Ohio. You know, I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not sure Mike keeps Blair around, and Blair Blair's upset. But Blair also makes a couple million kicking footballs. 
Um, so I understand it's true the media asks a bunch of questions, um, but it's also part of your duty to answer the questions. And you can just say no comment. You can pull a cam after the Super Bowl, and you're not going to get fined. You can say I'm just here so I don't get fined, like Marshawn. I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not for beating up on the media always, unless they do ask a really dumb question. And I, you can't get too creative uh, to ask kicker. What are you going to ask well, a kicker? Exactly. I, how 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 interesting are you talking to the kicker? Talk to someone else. <laughs> but how interesting? Yeah, but I mean, I don't. Yeah, how interesting I mean, can your question this, be to a kicker? But it is kind of interesting. It is still interesting, and that, and that is why they're asking him the question in the end. It's. You kind of feel bad for a kicker who comes. I mean, yes, he's getting paid so like millions of dollars just to kick a ball, but I mean, you gotta go out there for one play like every so often, and that play is so weighted on because that's that's all all the chances you get, and yep. you gotta come through on an NFL team. College, it's like eh, whatever. But come on, you got to Yeah, gotta... your school's just going to hate you. So this is the Sports Report on KCPR 91.3 <laughs> FM. Dan, we've got a couple minutes for you, though. Uh, you want to take us through a little bit of college football as well? Yeah, let's move on to college football. Let's spice it up. Alabama 10-0. I heard they had Trent Richardson doing the doing the doing his best impression of Leonard Fournette down at Alabama. <laughs> Nick Saban getting a little creative uh, with Trent unable to find some NFL work. But, yeah, I thought that was an interesting little tidbit. And then... I don't know. I'm not. My thing is, I'm not surprised that Alabama wins ten to zero against yeah, any team kind of, coached by Ed Ogeron. Yeah, because Ed Ogeron is just mastermind. such a defensive guy, and yeah, he's. I don't know why and he's been in that position before as interim head coach. Yeah, and it's going to be a defensive battle. But the thing is, if they know they're worried about their offense at LSU, right? But then they put in Ed. Like it yeah. makes sense for this season, right. but you can't make Ed the head coach. Because the whole point is LSU has a great program with amazing athletics, but they can't score. They can't even have a pro-style quarterback. Mm-hmm. I mean, their last what was their last great quarterback? Matt Flynn. Before that, Jamarcus Russell. You know, you know what I'm saying? So I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens at LSU, Dan. But you want to get to that Nebraska game or you want to get to some of those other games? Nebraska. Nebraska, let's let's touch on that. I feel oh fake I feel ID. kinda bad for Nebraska. They they looked so good. They looked pretty good leading up into this game. Uh, they're starting quarterback. <laughs> yeah, this year's going Iowa, down. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Although well, I liked Iowa, they still Iowa's fought been, to the end Iowa's, against Michigan State last year. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they kind of got wrecked by Stanford in the Rose Bowl. But anyway, Nebraska. Uh, I don't know if this speaks just more to Ohio State just being a dominant team. I think Ohio State brought out a lot of frustration. They been hearing a lot of stuff i kind of was dropping ohio state in my mind a little bit after those two close games against i mean losing to penn state and then having a close game against northwestern you just wouldn't expect ohio state to do that i think they're just really frustrated just want to come out and have a good game and they balled out and that's and that's that that's urban meyer's team just going in and washington has someone to thank Yes, Washington has Mississippi State to think, but Mississippi State, if you don't know, beating Texas A&M 35 to 28. The Aggies were ranked number four, a seven and one team. Their one loss coming against Alabama before this. Yeah, and your rant is how overrated Texas A&M is. So go, go. Okay, 
you lose to Alabama 33 to 14. That's that's a drubbing by SEC standards. You beat South Carolina by 11 points. Not great. Um, I mean, you get a good win against Auburn. Um, you barely beat UCLA early in the season. I just don't know what grounds that the playoff committee gave them this number four, ju- just jumping over Washington, a team who's been blowing out. So much disrespect. <laughs> it's SEC bias, I think. And we've been seeing it in years past before. It's been said so many times. I just think it's true. Washington <laughs> drubbing Cal. I mean, Cal's terrible. but Oh, Cal's not terrible. Th- their defense, is, their defense is terrible. Their <laughs> offense is good. Yeah. And it, it, it's pretty good, like, when you hold Cal to only 27 points. That's a good game. Yeah, and, definitely. I mean, of course, putting up 66 points is nothing to look over either. Dan, anything else? We're, we're, we're anything tight else? here. No, I think that's it. All Just, right, well, we want to leave you with this great wisdom from Brandon Marshall. We forgot to play it <laughs> earlier. Here's Brandon Marshall on Ryan Fitzpatrick. This is the Sports Report on KCPR 91.3 FM. You pay way too much money to play like that. He needs to believe in himself, and he needs to practice. Hi, this is the Sports Report. If you like what you're hearing, check us out on iTunes at The Sports Report with Matt Kreiser, or search for us on SoundCloud at The Sports Report with Matt Kreiser. Now it's time for many listeners' favorite segment of the show, NFL Picks of the Week with Cousin Berg. Well, we do it every week. Cousin Berg, the man of the hour, joining us now for his NFL Weekly Picks. Cousin Berg, thanks for stopping by as always. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So I'll start off here because I stole all the thunder last week and forgot about you. I got Atlanta. (laughs) I got Atlanta plus one at Philly. Carson Wentz starting to show he's a rookie. Yeah, that's. It, I mean, I think this could go one of two ways. It's either going to be the game where the Falcons go off for 45 points like they do every week, or it's the week where Philly's defense, who's actually been surprisingly really good this year, kind of comes in and stifles the Falcons. And now I'm, I'm not really sure which one it's going to be, though. Yeah, I think it's, it's going to be that weekend where either the Falcons come back and become the 2015 Falcons, who didn't make the playoffs, mm-hmm. or they're like this year's Panthers. Yeah, exactly. So I think, yeah, it definitely could go either way. But I think, I mean, I like that pick. That's a that's a good call. You can never, this year, the Falcons have been unbelievable. I think they're 7-1 and one against the spread this year, or some 7-1 and one or 6-2 and two against the spread Yeah, I year. mean, I took them on Thursday, and Thursday is always a dangerous night to bet. And I got, yeah. the, I got my one W of the week. I went 1-1-1 one, one, and one with a push. We both pushed the <laughs> Panthers. Disgusting. Yeah, and I pushed the, uh, the Jets-Dolphins. So that was just ridiculous yeah it's ridiculous so what do you got i think my first pick i'm gonna go with the chiefs are getting three points at carolina i watched that whole carolina versus la game last week and the panthers just i don't know what is going on with them this year but they've just forgotten how to play football and i think the chiefs alex smith's supposed to come back this week and i mean they looked good last week the chiefs did and so i think they could just kind of keep it rolling they're going to keep it a slow game and not not do anything crazy not turn the ball over but i think they can they can win this game by i mean they just have to lose by less than three i think they definitely can do that well i mean cairo santos can make field goals unlike those kickers in the rams panthers game my goodness yeah seriously the I kicking totally was reckless the kicking was reckless this week in the nfl 
Yeah, I, I, I feel like it's been all season. Hauschka can't hit a 20-yard field goal. Yeah, Dustin my, Hopkins missed one in London to tie it. Like, it's just awful. And even more reckless, my dad drafted Hauschka in the seventh round. <laughs> hey, in one of my leagues, somebody took Russell Wilson in the first round. Yeah, so, there's like that's a draft crisis, both of those. Like, the, te- the group yeah. text is just going to go off at that point. <laughs> I think that's what broke the internet when we were drafting. <laughs> that draft pick. So, number two for me... I'm taking Washington. I'm taking the points. I think they'll cover this two and a half against Minnesota. The decider yeah, for I, me, Blair Walsh I, I is going to get cut. That's my bold take of the week. Blair gets cut after or before? Before. Really? We'll see a Blair. Mean, I, I feel bad. I feel bad for Blair. He's like had the yips all year after last year when he shanked it against Seattle. That's just, I mean, he was really good last year. Now he's just been struggling, and it, it, it always hurts. I don't, I don't want anyone to do poorly, so it's kind of sad seeing something like that happen. Somewhere. Yeah, but I want kickers to at least not, like, botch my enjoyment of watching the NFL. Like, it's I exciting totally It's exciting to know if kickers are going to miss or not, but then when it comes to the point where Chris Boswell can't even, like, kick his onside kick forwards, it's like, all right, well, there's a certain standard here, and you're not reaching it. Yeah, I agree with that. Did you see? Did you see Boswell the, when he did that exact same kick in college? Yeah, he got it. Unbelievable. Yeah, and it, now that was probably one of the worst onside kicks in NFL history. Well, the thing is, did you see the kick in the Rams game? The yeah. onsider went like thirty yeah, yards down the field. <laughs> it hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they're thinking out there. Okay, what do you got, Cousinberg? I have the Broncos getting a point at the Saints. Now, there's a little bit of a contrarian pick after how the uh, Broncos performed at the against the Raiders on Sunday night, but I think the Broncos are going to be fired up. They're not going to be happy about that loss, and they're going to come out. I feel like this just has all the makings of that game where Blair, uh, where Vaughn Miller comes in and has nine sacks. Like, yeah, I think it's just this is a game where they're going to demolish the Saints. And it's essentially a pick Yeah. It's basically exactly. like the Raiders. It's like taking the Raiders Broncos game, but now you got your insert in the. Insert yeah, and I'm getting a point. I would have taken them straight up. I would have taken them a lot of different places here, but they're getting a point at the Saints. I, I definitely will. Yeah, you got to get excited line. for another push, Cousinberg. Yeah, seriously. I've been pushing all year. <laughs> so, number three, you go first this week. What do we, what do we got? <laughs> I am taking the Rams at the Jets, getting two and a half points. Tell me why. I think that the Jets are a mess. I think that Ryan Fitzpatrick sprained his MCL. I think that even if he was healthy, he's not performed this year. I think Bryce Petty might get the start for the Jets this year, which just shows the current situation that they're in. I think this is going to be an ugly, grinded-out kind of game. I think it's going to be a 10-7 to game or something along those lines. It's not going to be a fun game to watch. But I think it's going to be some good defenses. And I think that the Rams the Rams are like sometimes really good and sometimes really bad. And I feel like this is a game where they're going to be good. Yeah, my thing is I'm taking the Jets. I know it's reckless that I'm putting all my marbles into essentially Matt Forte. Um, <laughs> here's my thing. Bryce Petty. What if he comes in? I don't know. It's two and a half. So they have to win by a field goal. Los Angeles traveling across the country. I almost yeah. would rather be you and take the Rams, but we've been so boring picking the same teams, like picking the Panthers. I have to take the Jets. I know. I almost picked the Patriots again this week just because of the Patriots, and I know it's like the same. And you what's the spread, though, on that? Patriots are giving seven to Seattle, but at the Patriots, Seattle can't block anyone. 
and we know that's the, the problem with the Patriots is that they have no uh, pass rush. And so if you can play against a team that you don't need to have a good pass rush against to do well, that's going to be a recipe for disaster. Yeah, Cousinberg, we played this earlier. Brandon Marshall talking about Ryan Fitzpatrick. I, we thought it was hilarious. Yeah, oh, I love it. way too much money to play like that. He needs to believe in himself, and he needs to practice. Um, that was like that was like when uh, you remember when Terrell Owens started crying in his press conference trying to stand up for Tony Romo. Yeah, I loved it. it. Marshall at the beginning of his press conference looked like literally he was like giving a testimony at court. He was like reading from a statement. I'm like, I love it. Marshall's one of my boys. I don't know why I didn't draft yeah. him. He should have. Okay, so we'll see. Quincy Anunwa. Yeah, Quincy, <laughs> our favorite. Helping, helping yeah, Spencer dude. always take charge in the league. So with with that, we've got our picks done. We're, we're all tied up. Uh, it's kind of a mess with our uh, weekly picks. But, you know, I like Cousin Berg maybe this week over myself because I'm taking the Jets and Fitzy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't like the Rams either. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Why did we bet this game? But... <laughs> We have to prioritize. Week, there's no good games this week. There's no games I saw that I was like, oh, I really like that. Yeah, and so we have to bet these bad games, and we have to stop talking about it so we can give you some time to talk about the Sixers. Yeah, I I texted you this weekend and just said, hey, I kind of like this Sixers team. (laughs) No, you said a little bit more than that. Were you talking about playoffs or something? (laughs) We have this theme of being reckless, and I think Berg reached the threshold. The Sixers are good. I was okay. Haven't Beard, they not won a I mean, game? Been, yeah, they haven't won a game all year. They okay, they, but they just lost to the Cavs by one, and LeBron played 32 minutes in that game. So I'm just saying, it's not like they didn't <laughs> play their starters. They played their starters. LeBron played 32 minutes. Kyrie played 34 minutes. I mean, it's one of those games where they played everyone and they only won by one point. Joel Embiid, okay. Joel Embiid, let me you tell you. You sound like a Sixers fan. <laughs> That's I'm the not funniest thing I've ever heard. And LeBron played 32 minutes. I love it. Yeah, well, you got to look at games like that. Against the Sixers, a lot of people will rest their starters, and that's how they get wins. But no, 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 they were playing. Okay. Let me tell you something about Joel Embiid. First, I've been on Joel Embiid since before the season started. You know this. It's been documented. But one, I think Joel Embiid's the next Tim Duncan. Like, he can't be guarded. He's unbelievable. He could go get a good bucket every single time he's down the floor. And so I think that's unbelievable. That what he's at, his per hundred possessions because he's on a minutes restriction, right? But his per hundred possession stats, he's averaging forty six points, twenty one rebounds, and six point six block shots. That's never happened in NBA history ever. Now, if you take the blocks out of that, it's happened twice, two other times. It happened with Carl Malone once, and it happened with I think Shaq did it one time. And if you take the rebounds off of it and just the points. That's only happened eight other times. So it's one of those things that his numbers he's putting up right now, while granted they will go down once he gets more volume, it, he's putting up historic numbers, and he's seven foot two. Who can guard a seven foot two guy who can roll the basket, has great footwork, can shoot threes, can do all of these things? It, it, he's unbelievable. Okay, couple things. First, my boy Tyreek Evans was historical. Look at him now. Second, <laughs> second. Uh, Joel Embiid, okay, he's got he puts up all these stats. So yeah, now he's the big version of Russell Westbrook. I want to know, cousin Berg, who do you surround Joel Embiid with to win a championship? What's your dream squad? Okay, well, dream squad. Let let me say this: with the team they have right now, they could put out a roster, they could put out a lineup 
of something along the lines of, I think they're missing one piece that, that they could put out a decent lineup. But even with they got, I think Nick Stauskas, you put him at the point guard. Now, just hear me out on this. You put Stauskas at the point guard, and he's not lived up to expectations. I'm telling you right now, 75% of the people listening to this have no idea who Nick Stauskas is. My boy Sauce Castillo? Yeah, that's my guy. And you know him. He was a king. But Stauskas is going to be our point guard. He can shoot. He can handle the ball a little bit. He's not awful defensively. He's not good, but he's not the worst defensively. Put him at the point guard. At shooting guard, they have Gerald Henderson right now, who I like, can shoot threes, is athletic, can guard can get out in transition. He can do a couple of things. At small forward, you put a guy like Ursan Elias over there, shoot the three. He's a high-volume rebounder, can defend his position, can do a serviceable job for what you need done. And then at the power, at the power forward, when Ben Simmons comes back, he's your real point guard. He's your point forward, and he's playing the floor. I think that's that's the lineup you do right there. You can run pick and roll with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. You run pick and roll with Simmons and Ilyasova, and you can post up Embiid. I think it's that's that's the lineup you can do. You got shooters. You got a guy who can handle the ball and pass well. I think that's your lineup that you could. I think they could win twenty eight games with that lineup. I'm not even going to respond to that. Best speech I've ever heard. <laughs> um, Cousinberg, though, we're running out of time. We always squeeze you in. We always go to the last second. Election Day, 2016. It's a Tuesday here. Have you voted? I voted. Good. Glad to hear it. And all I can say <laughs> to the listeners is, uh, confession, yes, me and Cousin Berg went to a Trump rally. <laughs> but I don't think Trump or Cousin Berg voted for Trump. That's a fact, Cousin Berg. Am I right? You are correct in that statement. All right. Well, that makes two of us who didn't vote Trump. <laughs> but this is the Sports Report on KCPR 91.3 FM. Always good to have Cousin Berg on. We got to head out right now. It's the top of the hour. Listen to us every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m.